following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. So if you had to paint a picture of grace, how would you do it? Would you paint a picture of an ocean liner out on the sea sinking and someone floating in a life raft? Would you paint a maybe an airplane on its way down and someone parachuting in the background to their safety? What kind of colors would you use? What kind of a background would you start with? What would be maybe your theme that you would use? What, what kind of a scene would you paint? If you were to paint a picture of grace and what it looks like, I think for each and every one of us, it would be somewhat different depending on our life experiences, depending on what our background is, depending on what our upbringing is, depending on exactly where we were at in our life when we experienced, when we first experienced God's grace. Do do you have a, a good concept of exactly what grace is. When you think of Bible stories and you think of the topic grace, what Bible stories come to your mind? When you think of a, a scripture passage, when you think of one verse, could you wrap up grace in one specific verse? Would it be the cross of Calvary? If you're explaining grace to someone, what, what do you, what steps do you take? So tonight, We'll start off in Ephesians chapter 2, and I always go to this when I, when I think about grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's just one of many verses and many passages, but I think it relates well to our story that we'll look at tonight as we continue our study of the book of Ruth. The title of the sermon is Finding Favor in Fields of Grace. Ruth and Naomi are making their way back to Bethlehem. Um, Boaz has not quite come onto the scene yet, but we hear about him in this passage that we'll look at tonight. Uh, but we're kind of painting the background of the story. And to really to comprehend the matter of grace, to really get a, a firm foundation of what grace is, you got to realize how bad the situation was before God's unmerited favor shows up on the scene. So the situation is very, very bad for Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. It is very, very bleak. It doesn't look too well. And they have to humble themselves to leave the land that they're in and return to their hometown or Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. So last week we saw where uh, Ruth had, uh, Naomi had lost her husband, Elimelech. Her daughter-in-laws had lost their husbands, Naomi's sons, Malin and Chilion. 
Uh, they were in the land of Moab because of a famine in Bethlehem. We're going to talk some more about that at the end. And so there's four specific things that we're going to look at tonight in this passage. And they all involve grace. And so what, whether uh, it doesn't matter what translation you're using, depending on the translation that you use, uh, if you see the word grace, it could be favor. Uh, the words are basically interchangeable. Old Testament, New Testament, anytime you see the word favor and grace, they can be interchangeable. The Bible tells us in Genesis uh, that Noah found favor or found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't anything he was asking for. It wasn't anything seeking. And I think we see that in the situation for Ruth and Naomi as well here tonight. They went seeking food. They went seeking some of the main blessings that we need for our life. Food, shelter, and clothing. They found much, much, much more than that. And I think when you see all of this coming together at the end, you'll see just how amazing God is when he decides to pour out his grace on someone's life. So the first thing that we see about grace in this passage is that grace finds us seeking exception. We, we want to be accepted. We touched on that a little bit this morning when we talked about uh, popularity, we want to be accepted. And so Wednesday night sermon, when Paul and Silas were in the Philippian jailer, the jailer was worried about all of the prisoners escaping. We talked about how most of the things that we worry about generally do not come to pass. One of the things that Naomi is worried about in her return to her hometown of Bethlehem is whether or not the inhabitants of her hometown are going to accept her after fleeing the scene during a famine, being gone for so long, and then the condition that she's in. Pride plays into that a whole lot. So chapter 1, picking up in verse 18 where we left off at, we'll read the uh, verses 18 and 19. It says, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, that's Ruth was going with Naomi, she stopped speaking to her. All communication is stopped between Ruth and Naomi here for some reason. In verse 19 it says, Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. Probably several days journey by foot. So for several days they weren't speaking to each other. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi. So I think the number one concern uh, for Naomi was this, is that she was worried about what will everyone think when I return. Do you know what keeps most people from really experiencing true grace and repentance? Pride. Pride stands in the way of so many people Truly coming back and repenting of their sin, returning to where they belong and returning to a condition of where they are accepted because they think that people are going to reject them for the mistakes that they've made. Do, do you know what Satan uses to keep people in a state of oppression? It's pride. They don't want to admit, hey, I've made a mistake. I've done something wrong. I shouldn't have taken the path. And I made, and therefore that keeps them from truly experiencing the grace that God has to offer. People worry about 
what other people think when they confess that they have messed up. So that's the situation where Naomi is at. Her heart is broken. She's had to tell one of her daughter-in-laws to go back to her hometown. She tried to convince her other one, but yet Ruth decides to stay with her. She's broke. She's poor. She has nothing. She's lost her husband. She's lost basically all of her family. And she doesn't know what she has left to return home to. And so she has to put her pride to the side. She has to quit worrying about what everybody else is going to think. She has to say, I made a mistake and I have but only one hope. And that's to go back home and to see what's left. Will I fit in? And to her surprise, it says here that the, all the city was excited because of them. Not just because of Naomi, but because of Ruth as well. Ruth was a Moabite. She was an alien. She wasn't readily accepted by the Jewish people. But it says that all of the city was excited because of both of them. And all of the women in specific saw Naomi coming and they questioned, is this Naomi? We're excited to see her. We're glad that you are home. That's the first picture of grace that we see. That is somewhat of the backdrop that we see of grace. Grace is accepting of us no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter what mistakes we've made. Most of the time we just have to push our pride away and say, you know what? I need more than mercy right now. I need grace. Grace finds us seeking exception. Second thing that we see is that grace finds us at our point of affliction. I want you to see just how afflicted Naomi thinks that she is in her condition right now. Verses 20 and 21 says this, is that when she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Most people think that they are under the judgment and under the wrath of God. And they think that God is punishing them. And God has dealt with them bitterly, just like Naomi here. She says, here's what happened. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has afflicted me. That's the second picture that we see of grace. God's not against you. God is for you. God's not opposed to you. God loves you. God is not casting his judgment out on you. Jesus Christ took all of your judgment to the cross of Calvary. And when you realize that grace is ready there to accept you, when you realize that all you have to do is set your pride aside, and you won't be empty any longer, but God will fill you up once again. Your affliction will dissolve almost immediately. I'm not sure at what point Naomi fully understood the desperation of her situation. But it typically takes a full understanding of the depth of our affliction to truly appreciate grace. We, we can't be saved until we first realize that were lost. And I think Naomi said, I am so far gone that there's only one hope for me, and that's to return home. So notice the name that she wants to be called. She wants to be called Mara. She doesn't want to be called 
Naomi anymore. The word, the name Naomi actually means pleasant. The word Mara, which is where we get the name Mary from, means bitter. And so this goes back to the story in Exodus when the children of Israel are in the wilderness. Uh, Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 25. It's spelt a little bit differently. It's M-A-R-A-H, whereas here in Ruth it's M-A-R-A. But here's how the story goes. Here's where the name comes from. Verse 22 in Exodus 15 says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Mar, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Mar. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. So in relation to that story, you don't fully appreciate the taste of the sweet water (laughs) until you know what the bitter water tastes like. And I don't think Naomi fully appreciates her grace without all the affliction that she went through in her life. She still thinks that she's empty. She thinks she's oppressed. And she thinks that the Lord is bitterly angry against her. All she knows right now is the taste of the bitter water. She's about to taste the water sweeter than she's ever tasted before. Here's what David wrote in the book of Psalms. Psalm 119.71. David said, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. That I may learn your statutes. Tell you what, some of the Some of the strongest lessons that we learn, some of the hardest life lessons we learn are learned during our toughest times, during our times of affliction. My lesson was learned on Friday in the dog kennel when I raised up and hit my head on that piece of metal that cut a gash in me and started the blood flowing. Guess what I got a picture of today? My father-in-law sent a picture of that little piece. He said, it's no longer on there. It's gone. That obstruction has been Removed. We have learned our lesson together. You paid a more severe price than I did. No message with it whatsoever. It was just a piece of that metal in his hand. He said, it's gone. It's out of there. But we both learned our lesson the hard way. And I think that Naomi is about to experience something that she never experienced, uh, expected. The only reason that she will fully appreciate what she's about to experience is because of the bitterness that she went through. At least 10 years of suffering loss, of famine. One of her daughter-in-laws is now gone. Now it's just her and her one of her other daughter-in-laws returning home. What are some experiences that you've been through? What, what was it that God had to bring you through for you to really experience and appreciate the amazing grace that he's bestowed upon you in your life right now? It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. I I had to go through some severe suffering, but I have learned a lesson that I will never forget. And I have gone through some hard times to really experience the grace of God that I now experience. And those are some lessons that I'll never forget. And Naomi says here, 
Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because the Lord has testified against me. And the Almighty has afflicted me. Whoever wrote this, whether it was Samuel or someone else, they fully understand. They're painting a background right now for you. It's dark. It's dreary. It's bleak. But he's fixing to paint a sunrise that fully encapsulates the meaning of grace. So the next thing that we see about grace is that grace also finds us suffering from alienation. Grace finds us suffering from alienation. Not only does grace find us seeking exception, not only does grace find us at our point of affliction, but it finds us suffering from alienation. When a person is living in sin, they want to be alone the majority of the time. They don't want anyone to know what's going on in their life. They're ashamed of their background. They're ashamed of their past. But we see Ruth herself coming into a place where she is considered a foreigner or an alien. In verse 22 it says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, not just once but twice, the writer is pointing out in this verse that she was a Moabitess and she was from Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So the attention switches from Naomi just a little bit back to Ruth. And that brings up a good point. You know, even though that the book is named Ruth, is Ruth truly the main character of this story? I think she is the one that experiences fully God's grace because she's the alien in the land. But would you say that the hero of the story is Boaz? Or is the hero of the story Ruth? Or do we learn the greatest lesson from the life of Naomi? But here in this this context, here in this situation, here in this scene, Ruth is the alien. She's the outcast. And for Ruth... What's going on here? There was a certain degree of risk involved as a foreigner and a female during a violent time of the judges. In our opening uh, part of the study last week, we talked about how this, this particular setting took place during the time of the judges. And so Judges chapter 2 verse 11 clearly states just how bleak this time was. It says that it was a time when the children of Israel, not the pagan people of the time, but the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They didn't even try to hide it. They did it openly and blazingly in the sight of the Lord. So to be a widow, to be a female, to be a foreigner, Ruth has all the odds stacked against her during this time. This would leave Ruth as an alien. She's vulnerable. Had she not have been in the right place at the right time. By her committing to follow her mother-in-law to say, where you go, I go. Where you die, I'm going to die. Your God is going to be my God. That put her in the right place at the right time to find food, security, And someone to redeem her as well. So she goes from being an alien to being treated almost like uh, an inhabitant of the town of Bethlehem as well. 
Where, where were you when you first truly experienced God's grace? Whose, whose field were you in at that time? Were you an alien? Did you feel like an outcast when you first came in? Was it your first church experience? Was, your, was it your first involvement with Christianity, with Christian people? Did you feel like an alien at the time? Did you feel like somebody who stuck out like a sore thumb? Did you really fu- uh, fully realize your spiritual poverty and brokenness? I mean, you've got to understand just how destitute and desperate these two women are by traveling on their own, traveling during that time, and then coming back into a field where one of them is considered not just a foreigner, but someone who God explicitly said, do not have relationships with the Moabites. So for you, where were you at when you truly experienced God's grace? Did you fully understand how desperate the situation was for you? Did you fully understand the bad news before someone told you the good news for the first time? So if we go back to Ephesians chapter 2, by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourself that is a gift of God, not of works should any man boast. Later on in chapter 2, Paul writes this. When he talks about meeting Christ, when he talks about experiencing grace, he says this, when you do experience grace, when you do become a child of God, in verse 19 he goes on to say this, he says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're no longer aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Could Paul have been thinking about this particular story in the book of Ruth when he wrote that? What else would he have been talking about? But he's saying when you are become a child of God, when you truly experience God's grace, God doesn't consider you to be a foreigner or an alien or an outsider. He brings you into your fam- his family. He, he lets you fully experience the sweet water of his amazing grace, and you are no longer an alien, but you are a child of his, readily accepted into the household of God. So the next thing that I want you to see about grace, not only does it find us seeking exception, not only does it find us at our point of affliction, not only does it find us suffering from alienation, But grace finds us in a state of abjection. Grace finds us in a state of abjection. So in the year 2021, abject poverty in the United States impacted 11.9% of the population. It's 37.9 million people at or below the poverty level here in the United States. They are in abject poverty. Poverty. To be abject means that you are in a low or a downcast state. You are in degradation. You are being servile and wretched. And that's exactly where Ruth and Naomi are. It, it wouldn't be so bad if that would have happened in modern times for someone to be widowed, someone to be uh, considered a foreigner or an alien. 
We, we tend to support those people way better now than they did back in those times. But there were certain provisions made for widows, and there were certain provisions made for those who are foreigners in a land. When we get into the matter of gleaning in the field, we're going to get into that some more. Uh, maybe just a little bit tonight. But Ruth and Naomi were in this type of state when they returned to Bethlehem. Uh, the, the, the principle of gleaning, uh, it was not a, a picture of harvesting, but it was a practice, a practical necessity of caring for the poor. The Mosaic law stipulated that owners allow needy persons to gather the grain that remained after the reapers made a single sweep over the field. So the reapers would go through the field. They'd do the best job that they could. But whatever they left after that first pass, they couldn't go back and pick up. The Mosaic Law said, leave that for the foreigners. Leave that for those who can't own property. Leave that for those who aren't working for you. Leave that for those who need food so they don't uh, succumb to begging for their food. Out of your grace, out of your kindness, out of your provision, out of your generosity, leave a little bit in the field. A lot of times they wouldn't allow them to glean, uh, to reap in the corners of the field for people like that to be able to go in and take what they needed. Uh, it was basically just caring for the poor. If you want to study that a little bit, a bit more, you can go into Leviticus 19. Uh, we'll study this a little bit deeper on our next study. But Ruth and Naomi basically are in a state of abjection here. They're destitute, they're poor, they're downcast, and they're resorting to doing whatever was necessary to put a little bit of food in their belly. And that's how we are when grace finds us. Spiritually, we're bankrupt. Spiritually, we're poor. Spiritually, we're downcast. We have no other hope of survival other than what God generously leaves for us. But the Bible says that God takes it a step further than that. The Bible says God lavishes his love upon us. He just outpours it more abundantly than we ever, ever expected. So I want to paint another picture for you. This kind of gives a story uh, a whole new twist uh, I want to go over the meaning of a few names for you that I, I think once we go through these names and we kind of look at it uh, from a big, broad spectrum, you'll understand uh, what the writer is doing here to paint this picture of grace. We've talked about the meaning of Bethlehem before. The meaning of Bethlehem means city of bread. The land Moab, the name Moab means waste and nothingness. Let's go back to Naomi's husband. His name, Elimelech, means God is king. And Boaz, Boaz begins coming on scene here. In verse 22, no, not verse 22, but 1 and 2 of uh, chapter 2, it says, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. 
So Bethlehem means city of bread. Moab means waste or nothingness. Elimelech means God is king. The name Boaz, as Boaz comes on the scene, means strength of fleetness. Or basically, in it is strength. 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 2, if you want to write this verse down, there's actually a, a pillar in Solomon's temple. Whenever Solomon builds his temple, there's actually a pillar in that temple named Boaz, meaning in it is strength. So this is pretty neat. Once you put all this together, once you put all these meanings together, it's pretty neat what the writer is trying to paint here. The name Imelech, God is king. What he did, does his name actually fit his actions? So if God is king of his life, here's what Elimelech did. Elimelech left the city of Bethlehem, the city of bread, due to a famine. If God was his king, would he have trusted God and stayed put where he was at? He took his family to a land, Moab, meaning waste or nothingless. So he left the city of bread and went to a land called waste or nothingness. And his name meant God is king. And this land was only 30 miles away from Bethlehem. So instead of staying and repenting and asking God to remove this judgment, which is what the famine was, instead he fled to a pagan land that God explicitly commanded. God didn't just suggest this. He didn't just ask this. He explicitly commanded, do not have relationships. Don't be a part of what they're doing. Don't be involved with the Moabites. And so now the judgment on Elimelech and Israel is even worse than it was before. Now the judgment is worse, not for Elimelech, but for Naomi to deal with. Because out of this move, going to Moab, Elimelech is dead and his two sons are dead. There's a wife and two daughter-in-laws who are now widowed and alone. And now we see Naomi, even though she was submissive in following her husband, she's left to suffer because the man whose name meant God is king left the city of bread to go to a land of nothingness. She has gone from pleasant to bitter because of all of this taking place. Isn't God's word incredible how he kind of weaves his story together? And when you, when you get the background, what we see is the tapestry in the front. We don't see all the little stitching in the back and all the little twists and turns that it takes to make that tapestry come to a full picture. Here's what the Bible says. Naomi is left to pay for what Elimelech did, the move that he made. Romans 6.23 says this, that the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. Everything that I just explained about Elimelech and the move that he made from Bethlehem to Moab, that's the bad news. What Naomi is dealing with, the loss of her husband and two sons, that's the bad news. But God doesn't stop there. He wants us to understand just how bad the bad news is. 
before we really taste the sweetness of the good news and his mercy and his grace. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The good news is much better when you fully understand the implications of the bad news. Ephesians 2.8, by grace you are saved through faith and not that of yourself. It is a gift of God. It is something that he gives to you. Here's just one more twist to this whole plot. And this is something that, it, it may seem far-fetched, but it is most definitely a possibility. I, I've never had the opportunity to visit the Holy Land. I, I've never been. I hope to go one of these days. I hear that when you go there, it makes the Bible really come to life. When you walk in the paths of uh, stories similar to this one, when you walk in the steps of where Jesus has walked, when you get to visit to all of these places where uh, these stories just really don't make a whole lot of sense to us until we dig through the background of it. I've never been there before. I hope to go one of these days. But from what I can read, what, I, what I've studied in this story, the land around Bethlehem is quite hilly and mountainous. It's a pretty rugged terrain. Other than one spot, there are very few spots that would accommodate Growing a grain field like Ruth finds herself in here. Opening up in chapter 2, she says, Please let me go to this field to glean heads of grain after him. You can't grow a grain field on a mountainside or a side of a hill. you got to have somewhere flat to do your plowing, your sowing, your reaping. It's got to hold a little bit of moisture for your crop to grow. There are very few spots that would accommodate growing a grain field. One certain location is east of the town, and it's called the Shepherd's Field. Could this possibly be the place where Ruth and Naomi experienced the grace of their Redeemer? Boaz is known as the kinsman Redeemer. The Shepherd's Field. Could this be the very field where Ruth wants to enter into to find grain? Also, could this be the very field where the shepherds received the news from the angels on the night of Jesus' birth? The night when Jesus was born and the Redeemer of all mankind came to the world. Could it be the same field? It, it could happen. It's a possibility. E- even for that to happen in the same town, you know, what? We couldn't have orchestrated that. They couldn't have orchestrated that. They didn't know a famine was coming. They were just returning home. They were just doing what they thought was best for that situation. But the possibility is there that it could have been the exact same field that the shepherds were in the night Jesus was born. And the angel said, the Redeemer of the world has come. And now in this story... The lineage of Jesus is preserved because Ruth goes into this field and meets a man by the name of Boaz who becomes her kinsman redeemer. What a God we serve. What an incredible book. And a lot of times we pass through stories like this and we just see what's on the surface. And what's on the surface is very, very valuable. 
But I tell you what, when you really begin studying, when you build it, really begin digging, it just becomes so much more clear just how incredible this book is. How amazing this thing called grace is. And how big of a picture God is painting in this one four-chapter story of a lady by the name of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. I don't know about you. I don't know where grace finds you at today. I don't know where you first experienced grace. I don't know how I was able to squeeze all the notes that I had from this uh, into tonight's sermon. I, I figured there'd be no way we we get out of here tonight on Baptist Standard Time. But uh seemed like I pulled it off. There's so much more to explore, though. There's so much more to learn. And that's what makes God's grace so truly amazing. This, this quote at the bottom, I think, summarizes it real well. Grace finds us in our poverty and presents us with the gift of an inheritance that we didn't deserve, the gift of grace. So my question to you tonight is, have you really tasted that sweet water of God's amazing grace? Have you tasted that living water? Or are you still an alien right now? You, you have yet to move your pride to the side and say, you know what, I, I'm a foreigner right now. I, I don't know what it's like being one of God's children. I don't know where you stand in your relationship. I don't know if you fully comprehend the grace that God has made available to all of us. I hope you have. That's my prayer. My hope and my prayer truly is that you have, if you have experienced God's amazing grace, are you sharing that with other people? Do you want other people to experience on the same level the grace that you've experienced? The forgiveness, that, that flood that just comes over you when you say, you know what? I don't have anything to worry about. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. There's no way I could pay for it. But I have readily accepted what God has to offer through his son, Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you so much, Lord, for all that you're wanting to do in and among us. God, what an incredible story of everything that you went through to orchestrate these events. And Lord, even what we've looked at tonight just barely scratches the surface of all that you've done for us. All of these blessings that we sang about, are we really counting the blessings that you've given to us in our life? Your grace is only one of many, many, many blessings. But I think that your grace truly is the biggest blessing that we could have ever received and that we can ever receive. Lord, to taste that sweet water, that sweet living water that you offer to us freely. Your word says to let everyone come and drink of the living water. Just a taste of it one time. Psalms 34, 8 says to taste and see that the Lord is good. And how blessed is the man. How blessed is the person who trusts in you. And I think that's what Naomi, in essence, was doing, Lord. I think she was trusting in you by coming home where she belongs. 
by realizing that where she was at, there was no hope. And so I pray, Lord God, if there's anyone here tonight that is in that situation, if they think that they are in a hopeless situation, Lord, I pray that they would come to their senses, that they would remove their pride, and they would allow themselves to be exposed to your amazing grace. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for what you've shown us tonight. Now, Lord God, the challenge is for us to go out and to let others know that Jesus saves, that that grace is available for them as well, and that as many as possible in this town, Lord God, would hear the good news and they would receive it and they would experience life everlasting and life more abundantly. We just ask all of these things in the most precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.